All right. Well, here here's the situation. I got a got a August panel, or maybe more like a December panel, I guess, of uh, of people. So we're we're buying. Well, first of all, you know the kids and the iPads. What are you gonna do? Am I right? But you, we're buying my son. A, well, I shouldn't say this too loud. My son is gonna get a new iPad for Christmas. Now, <laughs> I I bought him a 32 gig one because I thought like you know if 512k was good enough for me when I was seven, 32 <laughs> gigs is good enough for him. And oddly enough, I didn't see this coming. My wife of all people was like, I don't think 32 gigs is enough, and she did. Like, uh, I mean, it was no. It wasn't the presentation I did in like 2011 to prove that we should buy Amazon Prime, but she did a pretty good analysis. She actually looked at how much storage Cormac uses and made the case that we should get him a 64 gig one. So we have a 32 gig iPad sitting on the dining room table, and I just I gently put out the feelers that maybe maybe we should just keep that because I would like it now. This immediately uh, was met with some uh, no, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it cracks. But here's <laughs> here's what I wanted. Here's what I wanted some input on. Met, met with some no. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just a big old frosty cup of it. Uh, but. Uh, what what would be the case now? You know, if you want to do it for yourself, that's fine. But I'm self serving here. What is the case I could make for the the ROI on on basically, let's say, three hundred fifty dollars for an iPad? What what should I be what should I be hustling here? I think you got to go travel, like you know, on your uh, way to watch movies, right? Entertainment, so you'll save money by not spending money doing other things. Mm-hmm. I think that's number one. You can mm-hmm. go the security route. Got to have another second factor device, right? Ooh, like, that's some adva- that's always got to back up. Okay, like if, so- if something goes bad, if something goes bad, like Kim needs help, mm. right? You know, you have that other device. You lost the iPhone, so that's another way to go. Wow, this is this is like we've got an enterprise grade right off the bat here. <laughs> Disaster recovery is what we're talking about here. When your child, when because you, you have a daughter, as, uh-huh. as the listeners know, daughter, you know, uh, prevent fighting amongst the children, right? Like occasionally, maybe, maybe she wants to start to get into it. You can let her use yours, like mm-hmm. work up to mm-hmm. it. Ha- you're establishing some precedent in the house. Got to be a certain age to get a certain technology. Always important to do that. But you know, she could at least learn it from you a little bit. All right, that's good. That's good. Does everything go to committee, or can you just decide that you want it and you deserve it? <laughs> Well, you know, that, co- that, there you go. Now, now we're going to go take therapy right now. What, what, what is this? What is this like? The five whys? What's going on here? Uh, you know, I wouldn't describe it as a committee. I, it, it's a it's a committee of one, maybe, and with with sort of like uh, suggestions. I don't know. Yeah, you know, maybe I, I think I think uh, I think maybe if I just slip it under there, like it, it's the it's the um, you know, this is why it's good in an enterprise. You got to know when the budgets for next year are basically closed out. That way you can start hustling for it around July or something. You just slip that idea in there. But I don't know. You know, it's good to have a few little a few little features, capabilities to throw in there as well. But I think I think ultimately uh I just got a slide on we have it and uh maybe we can't return it anymore. That's always a good <laughs> tactic. <laughs> When in doubt, get the lawyers involved. Well, technically, we just can't do it. We yeah. talked to the lawyers, can't do it. Who, a, who knows? It's a, it's a fine print uh, discussion at that point. Mm. 
Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as suspected, uh, I don't really have that good of a case. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and what's worse, worse is I actually did get an iPad at one point and I never actually used it. So I'm not really even sure why I, uh, I want it. My defense was that I like gadgets and I work in the computer industry, <clears throat> which didn't pan out. Well, we have a, uh, we have a guest co-host on. You want to introduce yourself quickly? Well, hello. I'm Andrew Clay Schaefer, co-host extraordinaire. That's right. Back again for, I don't know, maybe this Back. is the third or fourth uh, co-hosting episode? Something like that. Who's counting? Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, you know, we saw each other last week at Spring One Platform. I think, I think we, just as, as one quick thing, I think we kind of went over uh, last week the, the news there, but there are uh, a bunch of videos being posted from there, the keynote videos. There, there's some good little ones in there. And I think they're usually like 15 minutes or something. So uh, we'll put a link in the show notes, but you can check those out. And then also just – they range 5 to 20. There so you go. A 5 to 20 minutes. And and is that – I was thinking about this on the weekend. Was that our friend uh, Dormain who was doing the voiceover? That, that was the voice of God, the V-O-G, if you will. That's so nice that we chose like an employee to do that instead of like you know a radio DJ or something. That's exciting. She she may she may or may not have self selected, <laughs> voluntold, or or my my favorite new variant variant the volun shoved. You just sort of uh, push someone over the line of volunteering. That's your definition. Well, uh, more importantly, was there a uh, like a live band doing cover songs that like your mm. your executives threw to and like tied it all together? I mean, that's the new trend in keynotes. Did you have that? Did you have a DJ? Like, what was the musical theme? We we didn't we didn't go that way. We we actually had some somewhat thoughtful kind of digital, but it wasn't it wasn't pop music. No one knew it. It was just something one of uh, the designers kind of cooked up with some of his friends. It, it it had a nice ambiance to it, but it wasn't something that anyone would recognize. Nice, nice, mm-hmm. good. That's how it is. Because the de- a chef had the full DJ, which I actually liked. I liked the DJ. That was actually p- quite fun. So good, good work. You know, my, my favorite in that genre is I feel like, you know, the, you guys, the conferences in Las Vegas and they just have some sort of house act laying around. Like they're either like climbing up and down ribbons or like playing with glow, glow sticks on stage. Those are always very odd at like 830 a.m. in the morning. But I, I guess people uh, like them or, or they're thrown in as a package deal when you're there in the, uh, the MGM. I don't know. What do they call that? Auditorium. But yeah, I think I think just lack of music is generally pretty good. Well, uh, just as a little little uh, uh, what would you call it meta stuff here. So we we finally locked down our first live recording next month, January sixteenth, and uh, I think uh, I don't think Matt Ray is going to be in town. Well, I'm banking on it because we're going to have uh, one as in his first uh, guest co-host appearance. We'll have Tasty Meets Paul be on there. He like goes to all the meetups. So I figure he'll just be there, and we can just grab him to be on stage. I don't know what we'll talk about, but uh, just as a point of clarification, what what's the point of the live one versus the? Are we not live now? Well, then this you, this you, is live, deep. live That's to a tape. Question right there. Yes. Now, Brandon, Brandon, you have you have positioned yourself as the uh, let's see the the corporate the head of corporate strategy for software defined talk. Maybe no, you know maybe I think what you are is you're the growth hacker. Am I right? Is that is that what? It, no, that's revenue. We don't really have that. 
<laughs> Why don't you answer the question? What is what is the strategic plan? I mean, obviously we're up and to the right, but what's the strategic plan for the live recording? Well, I think I think it was simple as they invited us, and we should try to do it. And we we've been trying to. People have actually in the Slack community, you know, been talking to us. We've been giving out stuff, so feels like it will be a chance to interact with our listeners. But don't worry, when we do it, Kote, as we've as we haven't discussed, we're going to make sure the audio is at least as good or as poor as it normally is. So we will not do mm. one of those shows where like nobody can hear. So we'll have good recording equipment, or at least the best that we have. So and it'll be a chance to ask us some real questions and get some maybe some free stickers and some other stuff if we can pull so it together. So it's not just live, but the audience is potentially part of the show. That's right. That is the goal. That is the goal. Assuming we can get the technology to work. Yeah. And I, I think maybe you discovered a new tagline for all of our work. You know, way back when Matt Ray had the tagline, uh, better than half the stuff out there. And then I think yours is pretty good. We're going to do a good job or at least the best that we can. So <laughs> that's what we're shooting Absolutely. for. Well, uh, well, first than the other choices. <laughs> exactly. Well, you were, you were at, uh, you were at uh, KubeCon uh, last week, Andrew, or as I like to th- think of it, KubeCon. And, uh, well, first of all, I was shocked. Like, it was funny. I was leaving, saying goodbye, and you're like, oh, I'll be right behind you. And then there you are. You were at Spring One uh, Platform all week, and then you come to KubeCon. Uh, Kube Is that really how they say it? KubeCon? KubeCon? I sound like my dad just mispronouncing things on uh, purpose. I, I mostly have heard KubeCon. KubeCon. But give us a, because uh, you were actually there. Like, what, how was it? Did you hang out in the hallways? Was it all the great people? Was it a good conference? What was going on there? It was uh, it was big, and uh, I did hang out in the hallways. I got a talk or two in, and then saw a bunch of the, the bunch of the people. I'm a man of the people, so that's what we do. Just just mix I think it, it up. Yeah, I went there. I went there to see some specific people, and then there's just a lot of a lot of excitement around the project. There's a kind of a mix of. Uh, clarity and confusion you know depending on who you talk to there's there's a lot of uh, vendor interest there's a lot of user interest and it's definitely definitely a snowball and and they had uh, over 4000 i think the final number i heard people saying was 40 4300 and mm. they're predicting or or kind of planning for on the order of 9000 for the the next one wow what are what are is all it, what are all those people doing with, there? Like just attending sessions and like are the workshops? Like what's uh what what are they up to? So it, it was multi-tracked, and I was only there for the last day. So you know, having been through the arc of a conference before, and and also watching Twitter, I think you know you tend to 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 die off a little bit. The energy dies off towards the end of the end of the conference, but it was still well attended the the rooms were relatively full and, and people were kind of talking about this stuff uh you know some combination of forward leaning and, and you know real world i i attended a interesting talk by uh google people talking about doing you know live upgrades rolling deployment canary type stuff on top of kubernetes uh there's some sessions that were very interesting people are, are really trying to figure out how to manage these sort of stateful workloads um all interesting istio and this sort of uh identity-based policy-based uh 
routing stuff is really interesting. So it's not slowing down. Oh, and no, then was it then, was, was it combined with cloud native con? Like, what was the difference between the two conferences? Were they all one thing? I mean, this is where it gets sort of silly because the Cloud Native Computing Foundation probably should have been called Kubernetes Foundation, rightfully from the beginning. Uh, I think that there's there's some other reasons in politics why that didn't happen, but the majority of those projects are kind of rotating around patterns um, to fill in the, the the features that give you a full platform with Kubernetes as that nucleus, as that kernel. That's the that's the metaphor people keep going to is is it's the the kernel for distributed systems for the next generation of computing. So you got you know your routing layer and you got your um, logging and you know observability tools and yada yada yada. So the rest of that is sort of all sort of rotating around that nucleus. So so how well uh, how well do you think that's all like the definition of the 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 stack is sort of shaken out and uh, and fully baked versus like in constant evolution and you know uh, you know not to pull on any any scabs or scars like kind of compared to the uh, ever evolving nature of OpenStack where it was kind of like kind of kind of nicely baked at the beginning and then just had a bunch of stuff added to it. Well, I mean, what's your sense in the uh, the Kubernetes world of I don't know. We can all agree on this big uh, hamburger diagram that that's the thing versus not. So this is where it gets interesting. And and if you've heard me talk about OpenStack before, you know where I stand on some of that. But just to uh, review for the audience at home, I, I don't think that these projects are, are comparable in that core stewardship that that OpenStack really never had. The, the when you say it was well baked at the beginning, I think you maybe had you maybe had a, a story that had a little bit of clarity around trying to build an infrastructure as a service, but the the actual effort to build that thing quickly devolved into a marketing exercise with very few people focused on providing that core uh, capability. And most people focus on building uh, proliferation of projects around the edges that that depended on that core being being stable, but but never wanting to do that work themselves. And and in I, I do see why people make these comparisons, but Kubernetes at at the inception is almost the opposite dynamic, where the the core contributions are made by engineers that that had the insight that one would get from being inside of a, of a Google and, and seeing the container scheduling solution that's running there and kind of reimagining what that would, would be like as an open source project. And, and, and that is a very different dynamic. And so with that as a stable core, and if you look at some of the conversations that are happening around uh, the, the foundation itself and some of these other projects, uh, I'll give a shout out to uh, Jesse Frizzell, uh, she went on a little bit of a, I'm not going to call it a rant, but it was kind of a rant, on on responding to some of these proposals to put more projects into the into the foundation, saying that they should not come to the foundation as a strategy to get adoption, that they should be able to establish themselves as viable technical solutions for whatever niche they're trying to fill 
before they come to the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, where where OpenStack had the opposite posture that hey, whoever wants to come into this tent right now, like let's go. We're mm. you know the more the let's have a big party. So I think that there's this there's this protective stewardship around the core, around what's going to be considered the the Kubernetes core and what it means to be to be compatible that OpenStack never had. Right, right. It's sort of like uh, you need to be successful before you become part of this. Or, you know, successful well, that, is an overloaded word, but you have to show that, that, that you're a good project. Projects. That's for the proliferation of new projects, which right. other other foundations did some things like that before. But the 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 larger point is actually that the nucleus of Kubernetes itself has stewardship. Right. Everyone everyone gets mad at, at uh, Linus and yeah, he's probably toxic in, in some regards, but he protects the contract between kernel space and user space. And and maybe he could do that with more tact, but he definitely acts as a steward that protects that contract. And and Kubernetes has that in in place. They there's this core of people, you know, you can list a bunch of the contributors, Joe Beta, Kelsey Hightower, whatever. They're thoughtful about what that core could and should be, and they'll and they'll protect it. Where OpenStack was a free for all. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And and then so uh, I don't know where they're like I've I've been trying to find uh, like like overview uh, write ups of it and things like that, but there didn't seem to it didn't. Yeah. There, there were a few like little announcements here and there, but it seemed like more of a, a, a true community conference where there wasn't like a lot of news that came out of it. I assume there was a lot of vendors and things like that. Maybe I just haven't read the right thing, but I don't know. Did it seem like glitzy or just sort of like people sort, sorting out how to uh, configure their YAML files and stuff? It, there, there was a tagline, which I appreciate for several reasons. And as, as someone who lives in Austin, I might've heard before, but the, the the signage and and some of the the spirit of the event was centered on on keep cloud native weird right so it's it's not the uh, vendor laser light show um, that some of these other other conferences are and and you know not to call anyone out but I I think that there's a, a high value to having this kind of community practitioner um, centric centric conference. There were a few things that were interesting that came out. So there's there's the newer the newest release I think was one nine, um, which just got tagged in in conjunction with the with the event, which is also at least in theory a a commitment to uh, be stable on uh, the you know the certain kind of core APIs for a while. Um, who who knows exactly how that plays out? But at least that's the that's the verbal commitment that has been given right now. So, so then here's another thing I'm always joking about always joking that, about. that uh, since you're here, be good to go over. Like what, if you were to describe the boundaries of, of what Kubernetes does, like how, how would you describe that? Like where it sort of stops. And the reason I ask that is like every time there's a new way, uh, I just, doesn't really happen as much as it used to because it used to happen all the time. But every time there's a new uh, like little startup announcement, like there was, uh, you know, some announcement that I think Heptio does like DR and Azure. And like, I always think like, oh, well, I thought that was the whole reason this Kubernetes stuff was awesome because it does all of this. But it, it does seem like there is a uh, back to the nucleus. There's a pretty uh, 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 
probably helpful, like limited set of things that it does. And then everything else you would add is an add-on. But that's a long layup of my typical question asking style. But like, what does it begin and end? Like, what's the neat little box you would put around it? So for, for lack of a better label, I think that what Kubernetes aspires to be is a pretty pure container scheduler, which is you give Kubernetes some description of a set of containers and then some kind of numerical um, indication of how many of those should exist, and, and it will put them on some infrastructure. And there's knobs and levers for you know, affinity and anti-affinity, and there's this um, abstraction of pods and the rest of that. And then it's it's attempting to be uh, very pluggable and and unopinionated uh, about things like the the networking and the log aggregation and these are the things that you see basically filling in uh, the rest of that cloud native computing foundation projects. Yeah. So there's a there's just different service meshes. There's a, def, a bunch of different overlay networking solutions. Uh, I mean, when I say a bunch, there's like three or whatever, but right. <laughs> more so than one. Your, what is your take then on the whole, you know, like Istio, I don't know, seems to have traction. Maybe that's debatable, but, you know, just, the, I just feel like people are anticipating Kubernetes to maybe do more than it really does, you know, just sort of the core platform. And then people get into it and like, oh, I got to do this other stuff, right? You know, I got to either write it or I have to use something else like G, you know, G, I think your statement there earlier is about kernel space and, you know, kind of keeping that separation. Like, do you think it will kind of start to, like, include or grow up and, like, kind of take on these other things? Or will it be always be kind of this kernel is distinct and these other projects will sit on top? Well, if you think about the, the analogy, you know, extended a step farther, you have the Linux kernel and then you have the user land tools, which happen to kind of get you know, package with uh, GNU, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, and then you had this sort of distribution model around, around Linux. So the kernel might be the same, but there's some nuanced difference in the user land tools between the distributions. So one, one might be user add on a distribution and it's add user on the other one, right? And, and so that's sort of where you're talking about those choices. I think that there's, there's things that people at least in that community that were at KubaCon, I don't think they're that confused about what it does or doesn't do. Uh, maybe sort of in the hype cycle of exuberance that happens in organizations, but the at least, at least like that core nucleus of contributors that are going to come to something like KubaCon, I personally don't feel like there's that much confusion. You know, there's still open questions about how to do some of this the best way. Kubernetes still doesn't uh, install itself and upgrade itself and the rest of that, but the the group of people that are working on it are practitioners that are building the thing that they want to use and and solving that problem in real ways. Like you're starting to see the the production implications of this type of tooling. There was a number of uh, keynotes that were you know the GitHub one stands out. Um, one, because I, I, I watched it live, and two, because those are my friends talking about the, the stuff they've done with Kubernetes over the last uh, two years to get to where they are now. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I, I mean, I, I think you're right. I mean, the conference goers, for sure. I just, I guess it's sort of, you know, kind of go back to, like, 
you know, the thing that we were maybe talking about before we started, like the EBC level, like, hey, I'm trying to figure out how my company can build new apps pretty fast. And there are a lot of different options. And um, I think there just are like a lot of assumptions, like people just make, well, I'll just do this on Kubernetes, but it really requires a little bit more effort. And then obviously some other platforms we all know well, maybe they do it a little bit easier, but gets a little less choice. So I'm just interested to see how it evolves, like what, and, you know, and, and to your kind of original point, like whoever's driving it, right? Like, what do they want it to be? And then what does the industry want it to be? And maybe that'll be two different things and maybe that'll evolve over time. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, like, like you got a, you got at least this year, there's a 4,500 people seems like a lot just for figuring out where to stick a container, right? Like that's, that's a, <laughs> there's like, there's a lot of exuberance as, as you were saying. And, and yeah, your explanation, right? Good, Andrew. It's like a, scheduling where, where are you going to put this stuff and then you know sort of the minimal amount of configuration needed for doing that but not all of your complicated overlay and fabricy service mesh stuff which is added on top of it and it does um i mean i guess to make another analogy right like at one point i'm sure vmworld was about like making virtual machines and then it became about all of systems management and you know it's always it's always weird in, in a delightful way to see a small technology sort of subsume everything that people are interested in infrastructure, which certainly seems like what's primed to happen if, if, if it hasn't already. And in that same way that like there were a couple of years, maybe more than a couple where like the Velocity Conference was basically just like everything you would ever want to know about infrastructure, not just making sure your JavaScript executes quickly, uh, which I, I know I'm being a little belittling there, but it it does seem like the uh, uh, like Kubernetes stuff is the sink that everyone puts their uh, IT interest in or their infrastructure well, what, interest in. What it kind of lets you do is treat a pool of of computing resources, and and you know another thing I didn't really mention, but it's probably worth mentioning is uh, some of the storage. You know, I did mention networking, but treating this pool of resources as a single computer. So you're writing to the yeah. to the the Kube. APIs, and then it's going to do the right thing. If you think about how a normal computer works and a normal kernel works, it's basically scheduling processes on some hardware resources, and all, all you know, at a high-level hand-wavy um, explanation. That's really what Kubernetes is doing: is it's it's scheduling processes on some physical resources. Yeah, but it's, it's exciting because it gives you it gives you like a single. Um, kind of focal thing, and then there's also an aspect of it where you know humans are are tribal and it's fashionable, and people want to be they want to feel like they're part of something, so that kind of attracts attention. Um, you did mention Istio. I personally feel like Istio will do to routing what what Kubernetes did to scheduling in the next uh, two years. It'll be really obvious that that's the. I personally feel like that's the pattern for for how this this kind of next wave of. Uh, IT apps will be delivered. Mm, yeah, you know, I, I, I was, uh, hopefully it'll be published sometime soon, but I, I, well, when I was dealing with the Committee of One about some other financing I wanted in the house, it was agreed that if I wrote an extra column for the register, I could use that money to get the thing that I wanted. So I wrote this piece about, uh, it turned out being like, you know, what's Google's deal with Kubernetes? And one of the things that I never really tracked down far enough was uh, 
why does Diane Green keep saying Istio all the time? <laughs> and and <laughs> what, what I really wanted to do is like find the last, let's say, three months of her quoted in press releases and see if it was in fact true that she said that. But just without that proof, like it does seem like the uh, like Kubernetes, she'll say that. And then about three words later, we'll say Istio, like all the way down to uh, that thrilling Cisco partnership announcement they had about a month ago. So it does, uh, I, at least at the I, moment, the seem top answer, of mind. Yeah, the real lesson here is you shouldn't let engineers name things, but that's a different topic. <laughs> that's right. That, that, that one's been put to bed, uh, gone to school and graduated from college and now owes you money. Like that one's, that's a, that's, that's, that's chickens have left the barn. Wait, what's the one? <laughs> Anyways, some sort of farm animal has left their domicile, but that is, that is unfortunate. Uh, at least we put vowels and stuff when that joke's even older, but yeah, so I mean, if you look at what Istio represents, it's basically the solution that every big web, you know, quote unquote, for lack of a better word, cloud native company did before to solve this kind of scale out problem with routing. So, you know, I, I know a lot of different people did the same pattern. If you look at what Netflix did with the client side load balancing, it's basically the same. When I had the, uh, you know, friends inside of different places doing similar things with nginx or ha proxy you basically put a ha proxy process on every every host and use a local routing that you update with some mechanism to to do all the right things so istio gives you that that proxy layer and then adds a bunch of this other stuff on top of it so that you can start to have a kind of polyglot you know what they're calling service mesh where you you have some process that serves http proxy through that mesh and that's going to give you a bunch of these other things that that people have been doing like uh circuit breakers you know back pressure uh it's it's a way to give uh you know some policy about about what services can talk to each other and that's all part of that istio package and i think that will that will quickly consolidate to the kind of the best practice for how these microservice architectures should communicate with each other and then once that sort of settled and and uh solidified it it just opens up the the next layer of of innovation because you don't have to worry about solving it from first principles yeah and 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 i think i think that's probably like the uh over the next year for uh for those of us uh present company included who sort of like uh i don't know midway through the uh the 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 late adopters of understanding what the fuck's going on like they're sort of like defining the white space around everything like stuff that's left out and then therefore logically the uh the sort of like strategic opportunities and planning that you would have around that. And, you know, the logical, not logical. I don't know why I keep saying that. The obvious uh, thing that fits in there is like, oh, here's a startup I should have made three years ago uh, that that, that fits into that space. (laughs) But it does seem like this is going to become, because I agree with everything you said, and I think it just becomes at some point, right? Like you're just, you know, they're like a new word, right? It's like really you're just going to want them both, right? You're going to put Istio and Kubernetes like, 90% 90% of the time, right? People are going to be doing, but want both, use both, right? They're I mean, just going to assume it's there. Argue, and it's, I would argue, yeah, I would argue Istio is purpose built patterns to run on Kubernetes. So it's the patterns that had evolved sort of independently for routing, but then purpose built to take advantage of this sidecar pattern that you can, that you could do in Kubernetes. Yeah, so I think that's what I'm interested in is just like how does that – does it always kind of remain separate or is it just like there's some – to your point, maybe distribution is the right way where it's like, yeah, well, this is this is kind of – if you're building uh, something with microservices, which 
you assume most people are, right? If they're in doing this, then this is all lays down real quick and here's the way to do it, right? It's just real simple mm. and you get up and running real fast rather than, I mean, I'm not saying, not necessarily hard. It's just like there is a difference today, but I think most people are going to want what you're saying, Andrew. They're going to want it all right away, right? They're going to they're gonna need this stuff right away. So there won't be a need to like kind of piece it together yourself. So the way this is all evolving and, you know, I've been, I've been trying to keep up and, you know, I'll give anyone a pass that, that wants to admit that it, it's moving fast and it's overwhelming, but you could basically take and with a few commands have Istio running on whatever Kubernetes cluster, you know, assuming, you know, there's certain assumptions, maybe a little bit about networking setup, but uh, it's basically just going to run a few pods on your Kubernetes cluster that's then going to act as the, the basis for the rest of the, the routing. So, you know, Helm or, uh, you know, Kube CTL apply of the YAML that has the dis- descriptions for your Istio pods, like it's going to be running in minutes at most. Okay. So you're just saying it's there. Like you can just do it. Like there's nothing, you know, it, there's, there's, not really, it, there's nothing left to do. Just run the command lines, run the commands. I mean, that's a little bit oversimplification in the sense that there's still some knobs and there's still, when, when you say there's nothing left to do, there's always day two, right? And that's where you get it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that like being able to run uh kubectl on some yaml is adorable but but the real fun starts day two so that's that's where a lot of this is is getting the kind of interesting at least from my perspective because i always tend to think ops is important as people put more and more miles on the tires they're working out this stuff but you're definitely seeing commitments from orgs like uh, well, for one, Google, um, two, GitHub, whatever, like down the line, um, interested in in being able to solve these problems and having that initial setup and having that configuration is one thing, and I think it will consolidate and solidify, like I said. But it's gonna it's gonna be the pattern. It was already the pattern if you actually understand the last ten years of Velocity Conference, but it's it's codified. And, and crystallized in, in this set of tools that is coming from Istio. Mm. See, this would have been the perfect place to put an, uh, an ad from our last two sponsors, but not in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a good lead up to day two problems. <laughs> but, but there you go. Well, uh, b- before we wrap up, there's a few little, little small items we should go over. Uh, Let's see. I, I, I recently, you know, speaking of uh, trying to make extra money, th- I think it was yesterday. There was uh, I, I wrote up uh, one of my usual sticks from the little stump speech I give that I don't know. I think at this point, maybe it's like, let's say around just under half of, of people seem to actually be doing agile development out there based on surveys and and things that not as cynical as I am. Uh, people s- tend to say so. Uh, so far, I think there's like one hundred and eleven comments most of which I have not read, which is why I'm still in a good mood. But but they, they seem to be fine. So that's a, that's I think it's a good piece that I wrote. And then also, I haven't gotten to read this yet, Brandon. But what's up with uh, we're not going to have to sign receipts anymore for credit card things? Oh, that's right. I guess well, I think Visa's the last holdout. But uh, yes, the, it sounds like Discover, American Express, and uh, Chase – or not Chase. Uh, what am I missing? MasterCard, rather, are uh, – 
you know, they're all officially saying you no longer have to sign something because I know both of you are very diligent, you know, providing perfect signatures on your credit card receipts. Mm. So, so maybe a little common sense uh, coming. But I think until Visa says, then, then everyone probably, the guy at the, uh, the cashier, right, he's just going to make his life easier. He's like, I don't know. Everyone signs until, until no one has to sign, everyone signs. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. And then, and then that will be uh, uh, one, albeit small, relative to other issues, uh, reason not to be embarrassed to be an American abroad. You know, you, you whip out your card, and they uh, they got that fancy little handheld doohickey, and then they're always like, "Oh, right, thanks, asshole. Here's a pin," and then you got to uh, you got to sign some little piece of paper. Always seems a little weird. Yeah, like, like, I do like it as just a a good proxy, a little bit of a proxy into enterprise software. It's like you, what they're really saying is the credit card companies like, well, we think our algorithms are good enough or have been good enough for a long time that. We're just going to get rid of this wasteful security measure that we make everybody do. And I think you can kind of see that. Or you, you wish you saw more of that in, like in, in the enterprise, right? It's like mm-hmm. all these stupid security policies that I'm sure many of you are subject to and doing your cybersecurity training and doing your checkoff. And it's like, you know, it's, it would be nice if, if people started to think more about, like, are we asking people to do wasteful things that are just pointless? And is there a way that we can offload that? Or if we're going to ask someone to do something ask them to do something that's really important. Like, okay, maybe they do need to learn how to use a pin. Um, so it's like, it's nice to see the consumer world, you know, maybe at least here in the U.S., like finally getting there. I don't know. You know, will, will that make its way into the enterprise? We shall see. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it makes its way. I mean, when you have these digital transformation conversations and, and even when you have the security people in the room, I think you can get some nods about how theatrical and wasteful some of this is. And, if they want to be successful, you gotta you gotta thaw out some of those frozen assumptions. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That's most uh, most people I end up talking with. There, there are two types in in the. Uh, I think I think theme for the uh, Q4 of software defined talk is the EBC. But uh, in EBC <laughs> meetings, there's basically uh, two types. There's just the uh, person who nods and maybe asks you how to uh, patch Windows servers. And then, and then there's the other type is like, oh man, we got to actually change how we do everything. This is going to be terrible. But you know, they're more hopeful. It, <laughs> well, it is awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it, it'll be terrible in the sense of like, you know, I haven't worked out since I'm 15, so this is going to be some delightful suffering, or or whatever. But it is, uh, yeah. And and to that end of like what you're alluding to, Brandon, like I think there's. There, you know, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's a basic tool, whether you want to call it a value stream map or a big picture thing or just like thinking end to end and then questioning like why, whether you have to do all these steps. That seems like, you know, do that for about 12 months and then come back to the EBC. We'll see how you're doing. But it's it's a good right. tool that it doesn't well, seem I think like the a lot of people one, deploy. Yeah, just, I mean, just most companies today have access management of some kind, right? I mean, just on their enterprise and... I would bet the vast majority of them don't take advantage of the various behavioral rules that they could set up, right? If someone just sat down and they, I mean, I'm not saying it's simple, right? But I think, you know, if someone spent just not even deploying anything new, just sat down. So let's figure out what kind of behavioral rules that we could write um, in our system and, and maybe then, you know, free up some of the people on like password resets and some of the other problems that you, and I, I would guess most people haven't done that work. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I mean, I, I'm, but I do want to come back to like, good to see the credit card companies doing that, right? They're like, they're kind of saying like, we've gotten, we figured out a lot of this, let's free you up. So yeah. well, like I said, we'll see what happens. And and of course, this is a good part to remind people, 
that the best way to handle your authentication is to make sure you get an iPad with at least 32 gigs of memory in it, just in case you lose your primary device. It's very, very key. You want high availability and disaster recovery for your family. You know, everyone laughs, everyone laughs at, at what uh, someone else considers mission critical until it fails for them. You know, everything's mission critical if, uh, if you want an iPad that you don't want to return. I will say, just a quick tip, if you're setting up a new iPhone that you may have gotten, make sure you're around something else to verify your mm. uh, identity as you're setting up that phone. That could be a very awkward moment. We're like, okay, well, how, how is just, just being around me. Yeah. Just very briefly, so we can get to the recommendations and wrap up. Like, how is, how is Apple's weird 2FA whatever thing considered in the, like, identity and security world? Like, I've never seen anything behave the way it does, where it like pops up a window and it's very strange. Like, do people not care, or are they happy with it, or sad? I don't know. If, I mean, happy or sad is probably. I, th- I agree with you. I think it's awkward, but they obviously have the benefit of being able to build it right into their kind of you know, core mm-hmm. operating systems. Whereas most people have to depend on you know an SMS code or like you know yeah. their app. So they have some natural advantages but just be, just to your point because they have those natural advantages it's at least different. Um it, it is weird right like if you're around cuz the opposite if you're around two or three devices where they all pop up simultaneously and you're like what is going you know what I mean you'll just you're like logging into something on your computer, your phone, yeah. your watch or whatever or your iPad it's like it can be very you know just weird right you're just like what's going on. So yeah. I don't know I mean I think like all of these systems like good enough but probably not simple by any means yeah it, it reminds me of uh back when i had that never that unpublished book that i did for manning on the java authentication and authorization service the sadly named jazz framework and like its big thing to do was to pop up a swing window so that you could enter your, your authentication stuff and like that was right in the era where everyone was making web applications and it was like what what the fuck is this like why don't you just have a web page thing in here why do i have to use a swing window and so weird. Well, why don't you uh, why don't you go first with recommendations, uh, Brandon? We'll give Andrew some time to think of something to recommend to the people. All right. I'll um, one. I want to say that thanks for everyone who took the survey, and I will be sending out the surveys uh, or sorry the stickers for everyone who gave me the address. And fear not if you sent me an international address, I will attempt to send it to you, assuming I can uh, write an international address correctly. And also, um, several people. You know, told me that like there's a whole world out there that I, I should be more open to sending uh, things outside the United States. So I got a lot of feedback. Someone even said that maybe I needed to talk to like the ECC. I don't know the European Community. So I will just tell everyone, just go on Slack or on Twitter, and if you want me to send you a sticker, just send me your address. No matter where you live, we'll find a way. So there's that little housekeeping bit. And then the two things I was going to recommend. One, a very short documentary on Netflix called Longshot. I'm just going to say it involves crime and Larry David, and everyone should watch it. And just sort of uh, weird things happen. So if you have 40 minutes that you're trying to wait, waste, um, maybe you're you got a new iPad that you're going to take on the next flight, Cote. You can mm-hmm, watch Longshot. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's very go. good. And then um, I think I watched the also watched a quick presentation from Ben Evans. He's one of the analysts over at A16Z on his take on the 
uh, I guess the 10 year futures where he talks about, you know, all the trends, whether it be AI, cryptocurrency and, you know, augmented reality and stuff like that. So I like it. I like his uh, style is kind of thought provoking. And I think, Kote, you and I on the Exegesis podcast are even going to maybe talk about it. So tune into that. Uh, yeah. podcast to learn more i'm i'm hoping that that he if i remember him that he's sort of like a merry meeker if he was like at the new yorker and just kind of like <laughs> and she just kind of yeah. like calmed down a little bit and had some funny cartoons in there and wore tweed but he he seems to be a got, got a good job doing things well i'll uh I'll, I'll give my recommendation really quick so i finally uh got the uh, uh advantage you know the american airlines executive card which gets you access to the Admirals Club. This year I was calculating it. I think I'm going to have uh, 94,000 miles, which is just like terrible, right? I should have figured out going to London one more time. But anyways, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have like uh, Admirals Club access. And it is really nice. Like you don't even have to like show them your card. They just have your number. So you just give them your number. And, you know, they take a picture of you to do photo IDing now. So it's like a real Admirals Club membership. And then even better... The people that you add as authorized users, like my wife, for example, they become like full-fledged users as well. And each of them can bring in like four people, including like family that's lower than 18. So it's just like a bonanza of hanging out at the airport. And then, I don't know, they got a bunch of bullshit features like uh, you can buy a toothbrush if you miss your flight and get reimbursed and other stuff that like you'll probably never ever use. But, uh, you know. It's nice. And it's also like it's all black, so you feel fancy, and it's a little heavier. I think they like put some fishing weights in there to make it feel like it was uh, more solid. How about yourself, Andrew? What a recommendation uh, do you got for people? Well, let's see. I'll, I'm going to go with one that I keep using. I think I recommended it in every talk I gave for the last year, which is read the, the principles chapters from the SRE book. So the Site Reliability Engineering book, you can read it for free. Uh, embracing risk, service level objectives, and eliminating toil will change your life. Solid gold. Um, I'm I'm fond of books lately. Uh, I read the Kubernetes up and running. Uh, that's a great kind of primer on some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier through the show. And then I've lately been thinking a little bit about. I revisited a book that I knew I loved, but but it's been reconfirmed, which is Badass: uh, Making User Awesome by Kathy Sierra. And then one last bit of trivia, not necessarily a recommendation, unless you like your, your brain melting out of your ears. And I need to go back and, and reread it to see if I can make sense of it. But there's a paper that just came out from Google uh, talking about taking and letting machine learning models build models for indexes. And they're comparing the, the performance to things like uh, bee trees and um, bloom filters. And, and they did a bunch of interesting experiments. And basically, they're getting... Uh, significant improvements with these machine learning kind of abstracted models for building indexes over some of these traditional algorithms, which, again, if you don't like reading kind of mathy uh, science papers, it might not be your, your jam, but uh, I think it's, it's uh, the future. Yes, I, I, many people tweeted that, and I was like, do that many people really want to read about uh, bee trees? And then I remembered what industry I work in. So uh, it, 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 made, it made a lot of sense. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think I think in a what's that? I say most of them are reading. They just it's just FOMO that they won't retweet it. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and I, I think I think for the uh, the Flophouse uh, podcast fans out there, I think the Google SRE book is the equivalent of uh, that movie Castle Freak for you, Andrew. It's just like it gets recommended all the time, which 
Not that it shouldn't. And that movie seems pretty awesome, too. Well, as always, well, thanks for being on, Andrew. That was great. Good, good that you could step what? in here. Old man yells at cloud. <laughs> exactly. Well, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. Since this is episode 115, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 115 to get a link to the things we've talked about, show notes, conferences, and other stuff like that. There's a few things uh, we didn't even mention uh, that are in there. Uh, and also, you should join us in the Slack channel. You can see stuff, uh, links that we're thinking about doing, and there's there's a pretty good conversation just going on there about related and unrelated things. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, as you might guess, you can auto-sign up to it. Uh, and uh, also, without telling my co-hosts, uh, I just emailed out the first edition of our Software Defined Talk newsletter. So we'll see how that goes. Go to Go to the site, and there's a little newsletter link up there. Uh, you can click on stick your email in there and uh, we'll send you stuff. So uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Yeah, like the scenes where she's throwing him through a brick wall have the like level of realism as an episode of Smallville. <laughs> it's, it, <laughs> but it kind of turns into an Evil Dead movie by that point. You're like, all it needed was Kiefer Sutherland to be like, come on, baby, let's do this, thing, you know, or like hailing him and then her in the same groove. You got real ugly. <laughs> you none or I don't know. Ooh. There's all kinds of explosions. And then what happens to Kiefer? Well, he gets smashed by a rock or something, I think. And then? Then he the like, wakes ending, up, right? The he, twist ending? No, he wakes up and he's walking around. He's walking around and? Um, did, Stuart, did you, did you notice anything strange about the words? Well, I mean, woke up. Uh, it looked like everything was backwards, but I thought I'd just been drinking a lot. No, everything was backwards, because now he's trapped in the mirrors. Wait, what? For some reason. Come on. Nope, and then cut to credits. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's it. Come on. That's the end of the movie. The hell you say. But it's like, it, what? it feels like... <laughs> It feels like a movie that Come on. They, <laughs> the script ended. Come on. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's, what, that's how it ends. Wait. You watched it with wait, us. Wait, what? You watched it with us. That's how it that's ends. That's how it ended? Yes. Come on. <laughs> what are, what are you talking about? That's, that was the end of the movie. What? Wait, that's the end? Yes. <laughs> Come on. What are you talking about? Wait, he's a ghost now? No, well, he's not necessarily a ghost. He's trapped in the mirror world, though. Wait, he's like walking around. He's walking around, but he's in a mirror. Ver- you know, he's in the reverse image of the of the world around him. Well, come on, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. But it's still the end of the movie. Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, is he a demon? No, he's not a demon. He's just himself. Come on, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs>